welcome to the Sourced Podcast, our week in review. My name is Michael Crutcher. Jordan McDonald, welcome. This is our what, 87th episode, is that right? Yeah, 87th, but uh, the 77th of uh, our week in review. Okay, and it's a great yeah. week because Queensland did win the first State of Origin match. Fantastic game that was too. It Very was good, good game. I'm glad it wasn't a blowout, nice and close. Was it four lead changes throughout the game? There was, yes. Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, it was fantastic to watch. Well, they're always good when Queensland wins. Of course. And now we've got three weeks to... See what happens before we have game two here. Yes, we're in Queensland next game, yeah. So, uh, excellent. <coughs> now, Jordan, we flagged this last week as one of the big stories of this weekend for some time, and that was the decision in the defamation matter of Ben Robert Smith, Victoria Cross winner, one of Australia's most famous soldiers of all time, really. A defamation action against the Nine Entertainment Group over articles he claimed were defamatory. The big verdict came back yesterday and it wasn't a verdict that uh, was well-liked by Ben Robert Smith. So a win for nine in the court. There were basically 14 claims that were argued over. And what happens with defamation, of course, is that you have to prove truth if you're a media outlet. Truth will set you free, as they say in these. And the judge found in 11 of the 14 claims he was satisfied that there was uh, truth there. Now, that includes uh, the allegation that Robert Smith murdered an unarmed and defenceless Afghan civilian by kicking him off, kicking him off a cliff and procuring other soldiers to shoot him. So pretty serious stuff. The judge found Ben Robert Smith, the Victoria Cross winner, is a war criminal. Now, it's not the same level of proof as a criminal matter. Uh, and there are other matters afoot criminally uh, with some SAS uh, soldiers at present. However, this is what about defamation. And we mention it because it was a really big test of where media outlets are with defamation. Now, um, if the media outlet was to lose this, it was put up as, well, this could be a real death knell for public interest journalism because the damages would be significant. And in this era of reduced media revenues, why would a media outlet really roll the dice on something if the outcome could be this? So nine wins. What we have now to look at is, of course, Robert Smith may appeal and his lawyers are flagged, he may appeal. Um, but let's just put that aside for now. There's now the matter of costs here and what will happen with costs because the combined costs for both sides legally is in the vicinity of around $25 million has been a figure that's been flagged. Here's a problem for Nine though and where this story to me is interesting is that even if costs are awarded here and Robert Smith has to pay Nine's legal fees, you don't really get 100% of your fees covered. Best case scenario is that you might sort of get, you know, 75, 80% roughly, unless there's been a situation where a settlement was offered, the settlement was rejected in an all or nothing um, attempt by Robert Smith. Now, I'm not aware that that did occur, but it raises a question here. Nine is pretty likely to still get a bill from this, and that's if the nine lawyers can get the court to try to bring Channel 7 owner Kerry Stokes into paying some of this back for uh, Robert Smith. If Robert Smith's on his own, 
he won't have access, you wouldn't think, to that type of money. So Nine may have to eat some of that. So there's a big thing to happen here with costs. However, even if Nine's got to pay several million dollars, which is very, very possible, I guess the question then becomes for news outlets who have reduced revenues, who do not make the money they used to make when you could just go and roll the dice on defamation and it didn't matter because you had so much money, it may come down to... Was this really worth it, the whole thing? This has been multiple years. You can imagine the stress for the reporters, for the newspaper people, the stress about this case. It's been so hyped up. And even yesterday when the verdict was being shown live on YouTube, I saw about 10,000 people who were watching at that time. That's pretty big numbers for a Thursday afternoon a matter that doesn't involve um, the government as such or uh, it was a matter like this. So in the end... You'll have the bean counters at nine. He'll sit there and maybe look at what this costs. You've got the stress that it would have caused other people. Yes, it is journalism. It's a win for journalism. There's no doubt. It's definitely a win for journalism. But in the months ahead, we're going to see it was a win at what costs. Now, let's talk, Jordan, about AI. We've spoken about this so often, it seems, in the last few months, but it's been a pretty big week in the world of artificial intelligence. Page one stories around the place this week, government moves, so bring us up to speed. Yeah, well, we're still in the infant stages of AI, but uh, already we're seeing reports uh, where they were worried about human extinction because yes. of AI. I did see that. Yeah, human extinction was on the on the front page this morning. So um, That's like one of those Hollywood movies. I'm sure I've seen one like that. Oh, I'm sure you have. Um, Let me read the opening paragraph of the story in The Australian yesterday. Um, Anthony Albanese is preparing sweeping regulations on artificial intelligence amid rising global concerns from tech companies and foreign governments that the AI technology explosion could lead to human extinction and damaging disinformation. So... Yeah, the news that we're getting at the moment, I'll break it down because... That's like, a, that's like a movie sort of... Isn't uh, it? It's like a byline of it. Yeah. yeah, you know, but... Um, Australia's Prime Minister prepares sweeping regulations. Sweeping regulation. Um, yeah, no, look, I'm going to break the news down a bit because I don't think we should be too worried about <laughs> extinction just yet. Um, the Industry Minister, uh, Ed Husick, is set to release two reports which is going to help fast-track laws and regulations to, gov- to govern the safe and responsible use of AI. And we are essentially following the lead of the US and the European Union who are still grappling with how to regulate the advancements in AI yes. and mitigate the negative outcomes across defence, education, legal, political and social. Um, but why are we, uh, is the government you know, suddenly so concerned? It's because the there's about... Four, oh sorry, every person, sorry, even the person who's made ChatGPT yep. has uh, signed a statement alongside 400 other leading tech chiefs and academics and they're calling for AI regulation to become a global priority. Okay. So it's, it's seemingly important. Yes. Now, the story does cite one existing report into the existing risks of AI in Australia and it's called a Rapid Response Information Report. 
And the report, and I'll quote, raises concerns about domestic capabilities, capacities, investments, and regulatory frames in managing the rise of AI. It addresses the impact of AI on automation and jobs, trust in democratic systems, private and public organisations, authentication of information and breaches of privacy. Okay. So because Australia is one of the first countries to adopt artificial intelligence ethics principles, Minister Husick said... Building trust and public confidence in these critical technologies underpins the government's regulatory approach. So Australia's AI strategy currently focuses on a a broad set of general regulations, sector-specific regulations, so things like airline, food and motor vehicle safety, therapeutic goods, financial services, and then, of course, voluntary voluntary or self-regulation initiatives. So what we're trying to do is sort of get out in front of it all, before we fall too far behind. So ChatGPT was born, what, November last year? Yeah, November You look 30. around AI now, and like yep. the most recent thing I was texting you about the other day was that generative AI in Photoshop. Yeah. Uh, it's exploding, so it, it's the race to, to get ahead before it's too late. Well, here's a scary part too. We've said this so many times. The regulators are always behind the inventors. It's a bit like drug testing mm. uh, among athletes. You know, the... The history shows that, you know, the first of all, the drugs have to be invented. You can't invent a test for a drug that's yet to be invented. That's it. So it takes time, it gets out there, then the regulators catch up and then something else has come around. I mean, that's pretty big language from those stories this week about extinction and so forth. Instead, uh, there's Hollywood movies there. But this is a challenge for regulators. Okay, you want a fast track? That's the words they're using, fast track. Mm -hmm. Go for it. You'll have to do it. Yeah, that's it. Got to be quick. Now, there was, uh, depending on which way you look at it, some good news that maybe AI will free up time for us, but maybe not time that we're going to spend sitting by the beach. No, it does depend how you look at it. So there's the perception with AI that, um, you know, it's helping students or workers cut corners. So, you know, if ChatGPT is speeding up uh, their everyday work, what are we doing with all the free time it creates? Well, it turns out we're just working more. Oh, I know. Boring. There's a, there's a great little opinion piece in the Financial Review this week, which um, uh, the journalists interviewed lawyers, accountants and consultants who've integrated AI into their everyday workflow. And all of them said with the extra time that's created, they're just working more. Yeah, of course they are. Of course. Uh, there uh, were some stats around in the last couple of weeks, projections that, you know, th- that fear that AI will... Um, take people's jobs there was some stats around i forget where they come from but they're reputable stats ai will kill 375 million jobs but it will create 400 million extra yeah right history shows like look at all the adaption over the years the industrial revolution didn't wipe out all work it it created different work yeah so humans have always adapted but hey it's hard to adapt when you're extinct so that'll be the challenge, True. but maybe we'll just have to get Arnold Schwarzenegger's character out. Yeah. The Terminator. True, uh, He true. will assist. Now, you did see something this week that was to do with uh, AI being used in a professional workplace and it didn't go well. Yeah, no, it's unfortunate for this particular lawyer. He's a New York lawyer and uh, he has admitted to using chat GPT for legal research, but only after he's caught out thanks to a couple of uh, of the common errors that you get when you use chatbots like ChatGPT. Oh. So this lawyer, he wrote a full brief for a client who was suing an airline for personal injury. 
He cited several major cases that appeared to favour the argument for the plaintiff. The only problem was, though, six of the cases he submitted were bogus. <laughs> they contained bogus decisions, bogus quotes, and bogus internal oh. citations. It's a pretty embarrassing day in court when you the, uh, the judge reads oh. that out to you. He's had a poor day. It's a bad day. Yeah, very, very poor day. Speaking of poor days or maybe <coughs> poor weeks, poor months and potentially poor years and longer, yeah. um, we need to talk about PwC PricewaterhouseCoopers, which has been in the news a lot of places in the last I don't oh know, couple of weeks. But this is one of those stories that uh, it's got a bit of Haley's comment about it. Mm. Turns up and hangs around for a fair while. And off it goes. This one's hanging around a long time. So if you haven't caught up with what happens with PwC, one of, known as one of the big four consultants for the in Australia, one of the big four consultancy companies, they offer um, a whole bunch of different skills that particularly governments find attract, attractive, um, corporates find attractive. You know, these these big four consultancy companies have global presences. They are serious operators. PwC has got itself in trouble because reports have emerged in recent weeks that uh, between about 2016 and 2019, uh, PwC um, used leaked information uh, from work it did with the federal government um, in a, so a government advisory role to advise clients of a tax crackdown. So basically using information it received confidentially to help the wider business. So the fallout has been massive for PwC and it seems to have got bigger this week. So what happened um, with PwC is it put an announcement out. It uh, had a one of its most senior people announce he would step down from September and PwC appointed an independent uh, person to conduct a review of what had happened. Now... It's sort of snowballed from there because PwC has not been seen to have responded in the way that I, I guess people expected. Probably one of the big issues for PwC here is that the government work for it is extremely lucrative. And this is seen as a betrayal of government confidences and that could do some serious damage. Yeah. Now, uh, there was something I noticed last week that was of interest and that was a Labor senator mm -hmm. writing a column in a Sydney newspaper basically saying how disappointing the whole PwC thing was. Now, it doesn't take much for um, partners at PwC to go, ow, that's a Labor senator. A lot of our work comes from there. Yeah. So well, this is serious. Again, so that meant there was some more stuff to come. So this week there was a second wave of PwC announcements as to, mm. you know, what it was going to do. And I must say it was, it was rather interesting. A statement from PwC um, in which it said nine partners were stood down. But okay. it's not naming the partners. No, it's not naming them. No, but just take that. it at our word. We're sending down nine partners. That independent review we mentioned, we will release it in full. Yep. Uh, we're appointing two uh, new um, independent directors to our governance board. So in, in they come. Yep. And this one here, which I actually don't really understand, they're going to ring fence their federal government business to minimise conflicts of interest and enhance governance. Hey, I don't understand that either. What the hell does that mean? So we're going to ring fence our federal government business to minimise conflicts of interest and enhance government. So what that means is that if you work for PwC with a federal government, you don't do any other work, which just means that probably the government can 
then just bring those people in-house themselves. Yeah. If they're not actually going to be able to tap into the wider ex- expertise in PwC, we'll just make it in-house. Anyway, uh, the point here is, and we say it all the time, Jordan, in crisis communications, mm. it's not about what happens. It's about what happens after you find out. That's it. Now, people get in Australia that things go bad and they go bad through deliberate means, they go bad through accidental means. Australian audiences have been fairly forgiving over the years. Mm -hmm. What they do not forgive is a culture of cover-up and basically people who seem to have the first step is to cover their own backsides. The Mm -hmm. second step is to claim they are truly sorry. Okay, and we yep. don't do that. Now, think about what happened with Dreamworld when we had the tragic deaths of four people on a ride at Dreamworld several years ago. The fallout for Ardent Leisure, the parent company, was massive. The next day, there was an annual general meeting in yeah. which um, bonuses were paid to yeah, that's right, you know, to senior staff. And when when it was put to Ardent Leisure, well, this is a pretty bad look. It was well, we couldn't stop the meeting. Oh, yeah, well, you could. You could stop. The meeting. <laughs> you certainly could deal with the consequences of stopping the meeting rather than deal with the consequences of giving fat checks to people as families grieve. We also remember a press conference in which the Ardent Leisure CEO said. We've reached out to the four families of the oh, victims. That's right. And during the press conference, one of the journalists said, I've just got a text message here, CEO, from one of the families who says you haven't reached out to them, to which the CEO said, well, we couldn't find their number. Yeah. So remember that. That wasn't very bad. More lately, we've seen the Star Casino Group, um, just and the victims of their own mess, their mm. own mess. And again, it's all of this sort of we'll get better, we promise to do things better. And Australians now are pretty awake to this stuff. Big corporates who make massive amounts of money, who get busted doing something which is totally inappropriate, totally wrong, they knew it was wrong, coming out saying, hey, we're going to be better, we're good corporate citizens. Australians are awake to it now. The big question here for PwC is... What happens in the future for them? Yeah. They're going to have a massive, massive fallout from this. <coughs> Who knows? We'll talk about this again in weeks to come. Oh, I'm sure we will. It's another example of corporates completely botching responses. Um, Jordan, we've spoken a bit about sports betting lately. This is again in the news and an interesting piece this week that you came across. Yeah, I did. So QMS and JC Deco, if that's how it's pronounced properly, they're outdoor advertising um, media companies. Um, they're jumping at the opportunity to grab a piece of the sports gambling market. So with the expected tightening of rules for, for wagering ads on TV, these companies are pitching their uh, advertising spaces on billboards and street furniture to these betting companies. They've been coming up with uh, specific ad strategies just for gambling. Yep. So QMS denied that creating the uh, denied creating so special wagering products, but JDC uh, JC Deco claims that their campaigns are both very effective and compliant. So they're just playing ball at the moment. Uh, in Australia, though, the gambling advertising brings in more than three hundred million a year. It's yeah. enormous, massive market. But it's obviously facing that pressure from uh, the government inquiry focused on online gambling. Now. This industry is obviously crucial for sport. Yeah. Uh, so for media, sport and wagering companies, they all rely on TV for a significant part of their revenue. Yeah. It's very, it's right. It's very important across a bunch of different um, oh, yeah. stakeholders. Enormous. Yeah. And just as these things are, are sort of heating up, TikTok has decided to lift its ban on um, 
gambling ads. So yeah. it's allowing some of the bigger Shots. players in, like you know, Entei and Tabcorp, start selling their ads in uh, in that social media space. So it's interesting. There's a bit of movement going on there at the moment. This one is so interesting in the sense, if you're right, I mean, we've said this before, as a young journalist, you're taught to follow the money. Well, there's a stack of money at stake here from sports betting companies mm. and there could be restrictions coming in soon that impacts where those ads can go. Um, it's been put to me this way that the three biggest wagering uh, providers in Australia, so that's a sports bet, Ladbrokes mm-hmm. and the TAB, so it's been put to me this way, they account for about 90% of the market in yeah. Australia. Then you've got maybe another uh, company getting about 5% and then you've got a frantic fight for the rest of them over 5%. Mm. Now, COVID was really good to sports betting outlets. So in COVID, people sitting at home, yeah. couldn't go out and the betting outlets you know, had a field day and made a lot of money from, from mug punters. So it's been a good couple of years and now it's starting to flatten out as life gets back to normal. So there's a desperate race. So one of these things, if, if you're in a desperate race, you've got to advertise. Yeah. So the advertising market is still very strong. What governments do and how this all falls out, I will talk about this again because I think it's, it's just so interesting. Oh, for sure. And this market in Australia is uh, sort of unlike any other market really. Um, weekend coming up, what's happening for you? Wedding weekend. Oh, wedding. Yeah, I'm a, a groomsman, a groomsman for a, a mate's wedding this weekend up wow. in Montville. Montville? Yeah. Oh, very nice. I know. It'll be fresh there. It will be fresh. Looking at the, um, the weather, it was lows of, uh, I think it was 9 or 10. Okay. So that's a little bit cool, though. Oh, it'll be a lovely setting for a wedding. But it should be nice. No, no DJ work, which is great. I always look forward yeah. to weekends without it sometimes. And you've got through the hard part of the wedding, that is the bucks. Yes. You're through the yeah, hard honestly, part. that was that was okay in the end. Um, yeah. So yeah, keen for the wedding. Uh, it should be nice. It should be a nice day. Oh, very well enjoy the weekend. Thank you, you too.